we've done it. We've made it through another summer. Not a soccer-less summer exactly, but a summer of transfer rumors, transfer happenings, a great women's Euro championships, and we are back in it. There are Premier League games this weekend. There's a Premier League game tomorrow, actually, I believe, which is just crazy to think about, but we are excited for it here. This is Andrew Houghton coming at you with another episode of Soccer and Snow and Smoke, the soccer podcast from ESPN Missoula. And joining me here in studio to recap the summer and look forward to another great season of the beautiful game is my man, Ross McMoney's. Ross, how are you doing? Great, man. I'm pleased to be back and it's been a good summer. You know, I'm, I, you mentioned the Euro is super exciting for England. So yeah, and, and, and then the EPL kicking off tomorrow. Let's, let's go. Tell me how your summer was. What have you, what have you been up to? Uh, well, as you know, I resigned from the Strikers gig in January. You know, I continued with that through the end of June. It took them a while to find someone to to replace me. Um, so I finished up in June, like mid to late June. Then since then, it's funny. I told my wife, you know, as, as soon as I'm done with Strikers, I'm all yours. And then come July, I've been gone every week with ODP coaching and stuff. So, you know, I've still been busy. Um, and honestly, like freeing myself of the Strikers job and throwing myself more into the coaching, I man, I couldn't be happier. It's, you know, I've found that love for coaching again. So I'm excited. That sounds wonderful. ODP is the uh, Olympic Development Program. Is that, that what it stands that's right. for? Yeah, yeah. Go a little bit more into what that means, what kind of kids you're coaching with that program. Yeah, so, I mean, pretty much every state in the States has an ODP program, um, and it's for the, you know, the best of the best from the club programs. It's a statewide program. And then from there, um, they get the opportunity to go to the regional camp. So it's like, for us, it's region four. It's the best kids from California and, and Washington, Idaho, Alaska. Um, those kids all come together together. And then from there, again, they get the opportunity to get selected for the national pool. Um, we've been fortunate enough in, in Missoula to have one of the Missoula Strikers kids, Brady Reed, um, go all the way to the national pool too. So I saw him a couple of weeks back in uh, Salt Lake at the, the regional pool and kid was balling. He's, he's having a real good time with it. So That's exciting. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you, as always, by our new sponsor, Zootown Sports Cards. Really excited to be partnered with Zootown Sports Cards. Great people down there at the shop, 2100 Stevens Avenue, their new shop in the Stevens Center. They've got a great selection. They've seen an explosion in the industry of, of soccer cards coming out, Tops putting out products, Panini putting out products. They've got everything you could want down there at the store. Premier League, MLS, Bundesliga, La Liga. They've got sets of cards coming out for the World Cup this year. They had sets of cards for the women's Euros this summer that I'm sure we're going to talk about here today. So go and check those guys out. Zootown Sports Cards, 2100 Stevens Avenue, Unit B. And Ross, what we're going to do here, it's really simple. We've had a great summer of things happening. We know there's no offseason really in soccer. So what we're going to do is we're just going to break it down. We're going to do it like American football fantasy snake draft style. You'll name a story of the summer. I'll name a story of the summer. We'll just go back and forth and pick out what we thought the biggest narratives of the summer were. You're the guest here in the studio, so you get the first pick here. What's your pick for the biggest story of the summer just around the soccer world this year? Man, there's so many to choose from. Um, but I think I'll start with what I'm most excited to see, and and that's the Haaland going to Man City. Um, you know, he, he had a, a missed opportunity in the community shield against Liverpool and where he kind of skied it from six yards 
and you know immediately social media jumps on his back and says he's going to find it hard in the Premier League but dude just his movement to stay on side in that situation just shows how smart this kid is and and I'm really excited to see how he does in the Premier League yeah a really interesting transfer there for a number of reasons Erling Haaland the son of a former Premier League player has been one of the biggest prospects in the world for a couple years now and he's had a really managed career. I mean, he's built up really slowly first going to Dortmund and there was a manageable release clause in his contract with Dortmund that would have him, you know, sort of all the big teams in the world could afford him. So it was really a question of where he wanted to go, what his management wanted to do. He ended up at Manchester City, which is really Manchester City has had one of the best teams in the world for several years here. They haven't really had a striker. They haven't had a classic number nine and Erling Haaland is one of the best number nine prospects in the entire world. I mean, he's got the physical presence, he's got the speed, he's got the goal-scoring instincts, he's got the finishing, so now it's a question of how does he fit in with that Pep Guardiola team that has often, you know, played without a striker in this recent run of dominance? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that just from a coaching standpoint too because, yeah, like you mentioned, um, you know, Pep and Man City haven't really played with a nine. I mean, Aguero was was that guy for a number of years, but still with Pep's system, he was in and out of the team and there was always a question mark around it. You know, Pep really liked kind of a false nine in that approach too. You know, often he'd play, you know, a, a midfielder in that role. So it'd be interesting to see how Pep adopts his philosophy with a real number nine and you know a physical presence someone with speed like he has every attribute and it's going to be fun to see how Pep utilizes what that kid can offer a team for somebody like Pep Guardiola who's the the ideal the epitome uh, the originator of what we would call positionless football here he likes guys who can operate in a bunch of different areas like Bernardo Silva who play through the middle play on the wing change positions organically while the game is happening what Manchester City did this summer is they went out and bought a true number nine in Erling Haaland, and their other big piece of business was an actual number six in Calvin Phillips coming over from Leeds. And I guess they added Julian Alvarez from Argentina as well, who's, again, more of a traditional number nine prospect. So he's really going with defined roles in the transfer market this summer. Yeah, you know, and the Calvin Phillips one is a little bit of a question mark for me because over the years watching the Premier League, I... You know, these these British players are high commodity. They always go for high prices too. So over the years, I've seen players, British players like Calvin Phillips make these big moves to to a Chelsea or a Man City and it not quite work out. You know, and I'm a big fan of Calvin Phillips. So I'm really hoping that one comes off. Um, But I'm less optimistic with Calvin Phillips making an impact at Man City than I am Erlen Haaland. Yeah, another interesting one there. Manchester City don't need Calvin Phillips to be to instantly fill a role the way that they need Erling Haaland to pan out um, right away because they've got Rodri sort of in that defensive midfield position. Now, in the Premier League, we, we've seen Manchester City and Liverpool. Liverpool went out and got Darwin Nunez from Portugal. Where do you see the state of that rivalry going into this season with the moves that those teams have made 
this year. Yeah, you know, that would be my second point too. You know, it's exciting to see Haaland go to Man City, but it's equally as exciting to see Darwin Nunes go to Liverpool. Um, I think we mentioned that in the last meeting, you know, and it might have been me relating him to Manchester United. Uh, if I was the Man United boss, that would be one of yeah. my first signings. So it's really, but I, I think he really suits the Liverpool style. Um, the kid was on fire last year in the Champions League. He bad goals for fun. And I expect the same from him with Liverpool. You know, he's going to get tons of service and, you know, the guy's a goal scorer. So it'll be it'll be fun just to see like who gets the most goals out of those two guys too. Yeah, and that really is the narrative here. It's It's been Manchester City and Liverpool at the top of the Premier League for the last couple of years. I think with the additions that they've made, it's going to continue to be Manchester City and Liverpool at the top of the Premier League. And, you know, they're, they're escalating that rivalry into something that is really historic and it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, my, my question mark with Nunes is that there hasn't been many uh, Uruguayan players that have lit the Premier League afire. Um, you know, like uh, Suarez did it at, at, at Liverpool previously, but... You know, it's hard to pick anyone else. Um, so that's kind of South American flair often is difficult to, you know, bring to the Premier League because it's such a physical, robust style of play that some of those players just kind of don't work out. No, that's right. And Darwin Nunes has had a really good preseason with Liverpool and in a way that Erling Haaland hasn't really with Man City. But it is definitely a question to watch. And, you know, Liverpool did lose a little bit of attacking depth this year because Sadio Mane is now with Bayern Munich. So something to watch there. Yeah, you know, but, you know, I think I don't I don't know how Liverpool feel. Liverpool fans feel about um, Mane leaving. Uh, It's a big loss, obviously. Such a great player. I'm sure he's going to do great things with Bayern Munich. But Liverpool also have. Uh, Diaz that came in last year that just hit the ground running. Um, they signed a, another young kid, Cavallo from Fulham. He's an exciting prospect, a little younger, um, but kind of similar vein. Uh, plays out there on the left, so they've got immediate replacements. And you know, Diego Jota's going to get way more time than he did before with with Mane gone. So you know, I don't expect Liverpool are going to skip a beat. No, both both stunningly good assemblages of talent who, uh, you know, also have great managers and know what they're doing. So certainly something to watch this year. Man City getting Erling Haaland in, Liverpool bringing in Darwin Nunes. Something else to watch this year, uh, and, and my personal pick for the biggest story of the summer, whatever is happening at Barcelona... And this has been a story that we've been following for a couple of years now, since the beginning of the pandemic, when it became apparent that Barcelona was drowning in debt and really didn't have the funds necessary to even to, to sign and to register players. And now we've been in a situation this summer where Barcelona are, are intent to do business as usual. They're intent to still try to bring in the best players in the world. And it's really unclear if they have the money to do so. And so you have things like selling a percentage of their media rights for 10 years into the future to try to get this money. And you have things which are, are just unthinkable where in the Rafina deal, Leeds United was trying to receive assurances of actually getting this money in the future from Barcelona, one of the greatest sporting brands in the world. But somehow they've done it and they've brought in a number of players, including one of the best strikers in the world in Robert Lewandowski. What have you thought about the atmosphere around Barcelona this season, this summer? What have you thought about the financial moves that they made and what have you thought about the additions that they've made to that team well I mean fantastic additions um, 
but it just all seems a little suspect just you know behind the scenes um it's you know just seems a little messy with all of the you know bankruptcy and then they have no money and then all of a sudden they're making all these sign-ins like it there's something going on there that just doesn't seem quite right and it might just it might come back to haunt them in the future it really is shocking because this is again this is sort of the dissolution of one of the the greatest sporting brands in the world i mean i've got an fc barcelona scarf up on the wall here in the studio but it's something where the pandemic really hurt them and a lot of their bad business in previous years really came back to hurt them and also the fact that they pay some of the highest wages in the world is not good for them either so They've been asking their players to take a pay cut. They've been trying to force Frankie de Jong out so that they can take his wages off the books. But these players have contracts with Barcelona. I mean, they don't have to leave mm-hmm. if they don't want to. And, and if they want to stay, they want to stay and they want to play for Barcelona and they want to receive their sort of off the charts wages. And they have a contract saying that they can do that. So uh, that's been a saga to watch. They've also taken to pulling what they're calling these economic levers, which is, as far as I'm concerned, are just selling off future revenue at an exorbitant rate um, to sort of receive money so that La Liga will let them register these new signings. It's really sort of a cluster and, and something that really I'm not sure that they needed to do. I mean, do you think that they needed a Robert Lewandowski or a Frank Kessie or an Andreas Christensen to come in this summer? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think there's plenty of players around that they could get, you know, just on a free and just pay them their wages. Um, You know, and there's plenty of players that they could get for much lower transfer fees that could sustain them on the field until they at least like build back up that revenue and become more financially stable. But yeah, I don't know. I've seen this from a number of Premier League teams over the years, Leeds United 15, 20 years ago when they had like Rio Ferdinand and they had a great, great squad and they um, finished, uh, they got knocked out in a semi-final of the Champions League, finished second in the Premier League one year and then all of a sudden they just go on this relegation drop um, because of the financial spending and insecurity around that. So it's a dangerous game. Well, that's right. And I think that their squad was in a decent place as it was, right? I mean, that's not, you know, they've got great young players, um, Pedri, Gavi, Ansu Fati. They brought in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in the winter. He had a decent run of goal scoring Mm -hmm. for them in the spring. They've got players like Memphis still. I just don't know, like, I don't know if that's a squad that's challenging for La Liga, but that's certainly still a squad that's probably still making it to the knockout rounds of the Champions League Yeah, yeah. without the people they brought in. I think that's probably the problem is that, you know, they they expect way more than that. You know, it's Barcelona. You know, you don't settle for mediocrity. You don't settle for second best. They want to be the, the best club in the whole world. That's where they're at. That's absolutely right. And as as long as Robert Lewandowski keeps up his level, which is the best striker in the world, or right there in contention with a couple other names, for a couple seasons, I think that it'll actually work out for them in terms of the on-the-field results. I have no idea what is happening uh, with their boardroom and with their financials. We'll see if that all completely collapses like a house of cards. But that was one that I was really watching. Ross, back to you. Another story that you were following this summer. I have a couple friends that are Spurs fans, so let's skip to Spurs. 
they made two signings, Richarlison and Basuma. I'd take Basuma at Chelsea, but sorry, Spurs fans, that's about it. I'm not super excited. So we could actually switch to Arsenal. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Arsenal, man, with uh, Arteta, I'm so glad they've backed him over the years. It was kind of a, you know, a rocky start, but um, some really exciting signings. I, I like Sinchenko and uh, Gabriel Jesus coming over. Um, he's a goal scorer. You know, he didn't get a consistent run of games constantly at Man City, but when he plays, he scores goals. And, and I think that's what Arsenal need. And to replace Aubameyang with Jesus, I think that is really good business. And I mean, you know, I say I'm a Chelsea fan, but ultimately I just really like watching good soccer and Arsenal could be that team that just really excite the Premier League this year. Yeah. Are are you backing them for top four? And again, it's going to be a really interesting race this year. Liverpool and Man City certainly seem like they're going to be competing for the title and they'll have top four, you know, behind them by halfway through the season. Chelsea are up there. Arsenal, Tottenham, Manchester United sort of overhauled the squad this summer. Who are you looking for in that race? Yep, again, sorry Spurs fans, I think you're dropping out. I think it'll be Chelsea, Man Man City, Liverpool, and um, Arsenal for the top four. Not in that order. (laughs) (laughs) You pick the order, but it'll be those four teams, I would suspect. But yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see how Arsenal do. You know, I, I loved the Arsenal of old that, you know, when they had Henri and um, Perez and all those attacking flair players, that's that's the Arsenal I want to watch. Yeah, it's an interesting strategy and a strategy that I, I like, you know, bringing in players like you mentioned, Gabriel Jesus coming from Man City, Alexander Zinchenko coming from Man City. These are players who have had success in a very demanding system right like they've played under Pep Guardiola they've played you know Jesus played a lot he's one of the guys we were talking about is that that's the number nine that Erling Haaland is expected to replace for Man City Zinchenko's played a lot of important games for them how much do you think that helps players now being able to come into a new system after they've been in you know such a demanding system for years well I think it'll be an easy transition for those two players um, you know because I think Arteta and Pep probably have very similar philosophies and styles and ways of doing things so I think you know with Arteta being Pep's assistant for a number of years too they'll they'll already have a really good relationship I would expect so I think it'll be smooth sailing for those guys um, you know but Arsenal fans can be ruthless so if those guys don't perform in the first five six games then it could be an uphill struggle for them that's right because there's not going to be much margin for error in that top four race either and and points you drop at the beginning of the season count just as much as points you drop at the end of the season so that'll be interesting to watch for you as a coach you know talking about players who might have had a familiarity with the system that you already have how much do you weigh that when you're when you're talking about players when you're evaluating players their likely familiarity with the system that you want to run yeah, you know, I think going back to Liverpool and Diaz, I think, you know, Klopp has done that extremely well. So I think in terms of a recruiting, if I if I was at that level, I would be probably looking for players that could just come in and hit the ground running. Um, someone that, you know, shares a similar style and you, you've seen them play that way for their club and you know that they can adapt. And maybe there's little tweaks that you have to uh, think about, but... Um, at that level, I would, if I was recruiting, I would be looking to bring in players that you know can perform straight away. No doubt that's Ross McMoney is joining me, Andrew Houghton, for a summertime closing edition of Soccer and Snow and Smoke. 
the soccer podcast from ESPN Missoula. We're taking a look at the biggest stories around the beautiful game at the end of summer going into, we're not really heading into fall quite yet, but there are Premier League games this weekend, so we're heading into a new season of soccer. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you by Zootown Sports Cards. Now it's time for a new segment here on Soccer and Snow and Smoke, one that I'm tentatively calling the Soccer Card Spotlight. Our new sponsors down at Zootown Sports Cards there in the Stevens Center have such a great selection of soccer cards that it felt wrong not to do something about it, so here's how it's going to work. Every couple weeks before I record Soccer and Snow and Smoke, I'm going to head on down to Zootown Sports Cards, pick a card to talk about, maybe something that they've got under glass there, maybe rip a pack just for the fun of it and talk about a player or two that we pull out of there, just to highlight some of the great stuff that they have going on down there at Zootown Sports Cards. This week is going to be a little bit different. Normally, I'm going to be telling you about a car they got under glass there. Maybe something you can go down and check out for yourself. This week is one that I had to grab for myself, so it's now in my collection. I picked up a gorgeous signature relic card of Miguel Almiron in Newcastle. Numbered to 99, they had it in their display case. I just had to grab it. Miguel Almiron is a guy who's one of my all-time favorite players for reasons that I'll explain probably on a later episode of Soccer in Snow and Smoke. So that one really caught my eye, but don't worry, they've still got plenty of great soccer cards for you down at Zootown Sports Cards, Premier League, Champions League, Bundesliga. They've even got some NWSL cards if you're a fan of the women's game, and they've got some beautiful cards under the glass as well if you're looking maybe for your favorite player and don't want to have to go out to all the trouble of ripping packs. So that's the Soccer Card Spotlight, which we're hoping to make a feature here on Soccer and Snow and Smoke, which is brought to you by Zootown Sports Cards. Go and visit Hillary and Jason down there at Zootown Sports Cards, 2100 Stevens Avenue in the Stevens Center. Now back to myself and Ross McMoney's on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Ross, I guess back to me here, and one story that really grabbed my attention this summer was that women's Euros and sort of the way it broke into the public consciousness a little bit. And I think there were a number of reasons for that, starting, of course, with the charisma and the narrative around that England team that did end up winning the Euros. What did you think of that run? Honestly, it's for me, it's somewhat expected. I think I've I've watched the England team just progress and become stronger and um, not just the women's side too, but the men's side. It, it seems like the fans and the, the team and the managers is, and the press, especially the English press can be ruthless. Um, but it seems like the culture has started to change in there and and the press and the fans have become more supportive and they felt more included in what's happening and I think that has really kind of set the tone for for the players to feel a little less pressure and more free and safe to just get after it um you know you saw it with the men in the last tournament but the women especially this one they 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 were off the leash they were ready to go so i'm I'm super proud and excited that they were able to accomplish that well that's right and that is a team that's been one of the most talented women's national teams in the world for several years i mean there are great great players on that team but of course it is still england so there was always that sense of uneasiness i think and and i really thought that it was going to happen when when germany scored that late equalizer in what was a a great and really suspenseful women's euros final yeah and i don't know if you know the history i'm sure you do but england germany it goes 
ways back. That's right. Um, even beyond the, the soccer field. So, you know, whenever we come up against Germany, we're always biting our nails. We all, we're always pessimistic. We always think the Germans are going to, you know, tie 0-0 zero, zero and then beat us on penalties. So that's just the way it tends to go. So I'm glad we got over that hurdle too. Um, and this could be the catalyst for that England team and the men's team to go on and be like, okay, we are the dominant figure in world soccer. It really was a great final between England and Germany and the women's heroes this year. Two second half goals, first from England, Elitoon coming off the bench to score a, a brilliant ship to put England up, and then they were trying to see it out. Germany tied it up with a great goal just a you know 10 or 15 minutes later from Lena Magul. It looks like it's going to penalties. You can feel everybody in England sort of start to, to tighten up. And then Chloe Kelly in front of goal off a corner kick in extra time. Not one, but two stabs at it. Finally forces it past Germany's goalkeeper. Iconic euphoria for England to to go through and win that tournament. Do you think it was a bit of a, a turning point for the women's game just to have that tournament be in the public eye all summer? I mean, we didn't have a World Cup this summer. There was, of course, all the stories in the transfer market, but it, it felt like that tournament was sort of what everybody was watching. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't know. It continues to grow and grow every year. And the more we have experiences like that as fans where it's really exciting. Honestly, like most of the games that I watched were really tight and, and really well executed, like tactically, technically, like, it, you know, honestly, like oftentimes I enjoy watching the women's game way more because it's, I really like thoughtful soccer. I don't just like, you know, soccer that's one on physicality and speed and just brute force. The, the women's game is very thoughtful and that's what I really enjoy about it. Um, so I think the fact that some of these games were like that and really tight uh, tactical battles really draws in more attention from soccer people that want to see good games. Yeah, and I think what helps is that the level has just been raised for everybody and then things, the level of skill, the level of talent is tightening up with all of those teams as we see the growth of women's club soccer in general in, in Europe. I mean, England has a great team. Spain has a great team with sort of the core of that great Barcelona team that had an, an unbelievable undefeated season last year. Um, but but it seems like everybody's got some talent now because there are places where these women can play professionally and develop professionally all across Europe now. Like Germany has a great team. France has a great team. The Netherlands has a couple of great players. I mean, Norway still a couple of great players. Everybody has skill and talent. And that just makes, you know, when the games are closer, it just makes it easier to watch. Yeah, you can definitely see the, the fruits of the labor now. Like there's been huge investment across Europe um, to make sure that all of these big clubs have female teams and we're starting to see the reward of of that, um, that investment. Um, it's definitely paying off and, and it's just, it's really exciting for the women's game. Yeah, I definitely think so. And what a way to cap it with that final um, of the women's zeros. It's Ross McMoney's joining me for a Soccer and Snow and Smoke podcast, a wide-ranging Soccer and Snow and Smoke podcast, where we're just talking about all the stories of the summer. It's been a busy summer. It's been an exciting summer in a lot of ways. It's almost over. There are Premier League games this weekend. We're recording this on Thursday, August 4th, uh, one day before the Premier League kicks off its new season. Ross, back over to you. Another story that you've been watching this summer. Uh, let's jump to Manchester United. 
Always a big one. Ten Hag. I'm I'm still really excited to see how that goes and how that pans out. Um, I'm really optimistic. He looks like a very interesting character. He's done great things at Ajax. Seems like a very smart, intelligent soccer coach. Very thoughtful. I really am expecting big things from him as a coach. I'm not sold on their business so far. I'm the whole Ronaldo situation is just still up in the air. Like who knows what's going to happen with that? What are your thoughts with that one? Well, something that we've talked about a couple times here, but he's doing the thing where he's bringing in players who he knows are going to be comfortable with the system. He's bringing in, you know, Lissandra Martinez um, from Ajax, bringing in Christian Eriksen, who's had time in the Netherlands. It's a safe way to go about it. They still have things that they need to sort out on that team and in that roster, in my opinion. And, of course, the big one is Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. You know, it definitely seems that some of the players are the issue. You know, it's easy to go back and blame it on Jose Mourinho or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or whatever, you know, but it, it this continues to happen over and over again. So, And then the last story that came out is that Ten Hag wasn't happy that some of the players left early from their last friendly, you know, so that there's still something bubbling under there that just needs to be fixed very quickly. Yeah, I wonder if it's almost a problem that's just endemic to Manchester United and playing for Manchester United. Playing for Manchester United, as soon as you put the shirt on, makes you a celebrity. It, it just does. It, it's yeah. the way it's yeah. the way it works. And being a celebrity affects habits. It affects work habits. It affects training habits. It affects your life. Eric Ten Hag and most managers who will be in charge of Manchester United, they want soccer players. They get soccer players who are also celebrities, and it's just there's no way to disentangle those things. And it makes it it makes it difficult, and it inevitably, I think, leads to conflict. Yeah. You know, one of the big positives for that Manchester United team and, and the culture that I, I think it is good is that Pogba is now out. That story is done. Sure. You know, he's moved on. So that was one that was just every couple of weeks. It's like, is Pogba leaving? No, he's staying. Is he playing well? No. Like it, there was always something around Pogba that was weighing that Manchester United team down. But now he's been replaced by the Ronaldo story. Every week it's like, what's going on with Ronaldo? He wants to leave. And then he makes a social media post that he's playing and the king is back. Um, and then he's on, on the sideline arguing with Ten Hag and throwing his arms in the air. And, you know, you could tell that his body language wasn't good. And then after that game, he leaves early. You know, like what is going on? Yeah, big questions around that team. I think they have to be in that top four race. And I think they probably need to be grabbing a top four spot at the end of the season. I don't know if that's fair expectations for Eric Ten Hag in sort of his his first real year here. I also don't know if they'll have the patience to keep Eric Ten Hag on if they're falling short of those expectations. And I think that in pretty classic Manchester United fashion would be rather short-sighted if they let him go. Yeah. Uh, what about the Ronaldo thing? Do you, would you want to see him leave? You think I think he has be to at this him? point. He's still an exceptionally talented player. The fact that they're having such a hard time getting rid of him, though, sort of speaks to just the the truth and the issues with Cristiano Ronaldo at this point in his career. I mean, he's an exceptionally talented player still. He's extremely difficult to fit into. 
any sort of team, particularly a lot of these modern teams that want to be pressing. Yeah. I also think that he just wants it to be done his way. And if, you know, Ten Hag is coming in and wants something a certain way and and Ronaldo doesn't agree with it, you know, he's not going to do it. You know, you see that with the Portugal team. Um, In one of the last tournaments, uh, he maybe came off as a sub or I can't remember the situation exactly, but then he was on the sideline patrolling like he was the manager, like overstepping his mark, in my opinion. Yes, he's one of the greatest players ever, but you're a player and there's a manager for a reason. And I think he gets those lines crossed a little bit. Yeah, it's a difficult situation. I think they will be better off getting him out if there's any way that they can before the season starts. You know, it's difficult. If I think if they could have reached an amicable situation to get him out of there by now, they would have done it. So now you're looking at, you know, things are going to be difficult. But I also think it's just better to have a fresh start there. Yeah, I would agree. My wife... Um, is hoping that he sticks around because she has him on his fantasy, her fantasy team. So <laughs> in our draft league, she was, you know, we were like six rounds deep and she was like, ah, why is no one taking Ronaldo? And I was like, told her a bit of the story and she was like, well, when should I take him? She waited a couple more rounds and then took Ronaldo. So she's hoping he sticks around. Yeah, I mean, there also is just the plain truth that he scored twice as many goals as anybody in that team last season. It, it's, yeah. it's a difficult situation there. I don't think there are easy answers. If he stays, he scores. That's if right. If he goes, I think Manchester United are better for it. I happen to agree with that. Moving on here, getting down to sort of some, some more secondary stories, I've been really intrigued by... MLS taking a second crack at sort of the business model of bringing over European stars. This is sort of the the second evolution of that. You know, the first evolution with David Beckham and Steven Gerrard, all of those get Robbie Keane. It was to raise the profile of the league. It was to have name value there. This year, I think there's been a little bit of an evolution, and it's more from a soccer perspective, and teams making sure that they have a stable network where these players are additions as opposed to being the entire team. And I'm talking here about LAFC bringing in Giorgio Chiellini and then Gareth Bale and what Toronto have been doing where they've brought in legitimately three starters from the Italian national team in Lorenzo Insigne, Federico Bernardeschi, Domenico Crescido, all playing for Toronto FC now. That's exciting. You know, I don't know a whole lot about the MLS structure and salary caps and all of that stuff. So um, maybe you can break that down. How do they, how do Toronto bring in those three stars? How do LA bring in Chiellini and Bale? So MLS has three spots for a designated player, which essentially doesn't count against the salary cap. And it's a combination of both their transfer fee and their wages that make up the figure that needs to count against the salary cap and determines whether they're a designated player or not. There's a lo- It's very complicated. There's a lot of creative accounting that goes into it. Basically, I think both of those teams had a couple of those slots open, but also if you're bringing somebody like Giorgio Chiellini over for a free, there's no transfer fee that goes into that accounting. So you can afford to pay him fairly high wages and still have him not count as one of those players. Yeah which gives you space to them bring in Gareth Bale and pay him very high wages and have him count as one of those players. It's been interesting to see. I mean, I think the three Italians instantly became the three best players on Toronto's roster because they're, yeah. a, they're a bad team this year. With LAFC, they're, they're the best team in the league. 
that's the way you want to do it. You want to bring in Giorgio Chiellini and Gareth Bale so that they're luxury pieces and mm-hmm. that if they don't give you anything, you're not sunk. How do you think the Bale thing's going to pan out? Do you think he's going to have a successful... Hopefully stick? well. I He's playing well. They've been bringing him in as a sub, you know, just for his first couple games. He's still immensely talented. I think everybody lost sight of that when he was at Real Madrid and and all the controversy was around his golf game and his injuries and everything. He's always wanted to play in the United States, and that's another big thing for a lot of these players. The United States has a draw for them. You know, it's just another challenge. It's another country to experience. There's a a lot of perks, a lot of amenities that come with living in the United States. I think it's a great move, and and like I said, LAFC have a great core. What LAFC have done is they've tried every roster-building strategy available in the MLS. They've built a core of, of solid MLS veterans, you know, guys like Latif Blessing, Ryan Hollingshed, Ilya Sanchez, who played for Kansas City for a long time. They've tried bringing in the young South American talent to then sell on in a way that sort of Atlanta popularized. Players like Diego Rossi, Brian Rodriguez, Jose Cifuentes. They've got those guys, and they've got a great team. Now they're moving into what sort of people think of as the classic way of MLS roster building, which is bringing these big European names over, but they have the core there to support them. Mm -hmm. So I I think that will work out. And it's just interesting to see, you know, MLS go through the ups and downs of bringing in these old European players to improve the name value of the league, realizing that's not actually a great way to build a team, going through a bunch of other different ways of building a team, and now trying it again with hopefully a better understanding of what those players need to bring to your team. Well, you know, the Bale thing, I mean, he could have gone anywhere. I mean, he's, he could have gone he's to a lot of a, places. a significant wage cut yeah. to come to L.A. So I feel like part of me does feel like he's here for the sunshine and the golf um, and the celebrity of it. Um, but, uh, you know, he really wants a successful stint with Wales. So, you know, when he's when he gets the opportunity to play, he's going to ball out. He's He is such an amazing player. And I do agree that people have lost sight of that over the last few years. Well, and, and that's the thing. Playing golf every day in L.A. is not a big deal. There's no crazy American soccer media yeah. that's tracking his every move yeah. as there was in, in Madrid. Yeah, so a, a good place for him to be in. And hopefully that brings the best out of him. Yeah, I really hope he's he's happy and content with, with his time in L.A. And I think that'll only benefit him on the field. Anything else that you've got from this summer? I mean, I want to talk about Chelsea. It's my of team. Course. So yeah. let's not miss out Chelsea. I don't think their business is done. Um, either I think you know all the way to the transfer window they're going to be making signings and you know they need to replace their back line a little bit you know lost some great uh, defenders there but it's a good start you know I'm not sold on the Sterling transfer really I love that one you do I like that one a lot I'm not sold on it yet you know I I want to see it with my own eyes I haven't actually seen them play a preseason friendly yet so I've missed out on that, but, you know, I know what Sterling can offer, but I'm not sold on him as a Chelsea player. You know, I'm I'm, I'm interested to see Havertz yep. with, you know, I mean, he was at Chelsea last year, but with Lukaku gone, I think Havertz might fill that number nine role. The whole Lukaku thing just, you know, grinds my gears. It, it really annoys me that he came in for a large sum and now he's gone on loan. Um, I really wanted that one to work out. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I still, I'm really excited for the, the last remaining bit of business that Chelsea are going to snag up. And they're going to take it down to the wire. The timeline has been sort of screwed up for them because of the the new owner coming in. Yeah. 
certain things with closing the new ownership and figuring out how much they had to spend and figuring out where they wanted to spend it. Now they're coming full bore towards the end of the, to the, of the transfer window here, trying to remake that team here in the last couple, you know, chances that they have to do it. I'm a little bit annoyed with Chelsea right now because they're trying to unsettle Leicester's great young central defender, Wesley Fofana, who yeah. I think legitimately has the potential to be one of the best center backs in the world. He's yeah. a great, great young player. 80 million pounds gets it done, probably. We'll see if Chelsea offer that. I don't like it either way because that leaves Leicester with very little time to find a replacement. And that's how Leicester ended up with Yannick Vestergaard last season, which was a disaster. Here's my case for Raheem Sterling. And I think that the Man City system did paper over a lot of his flaws. He's a great, great player, but in Man City's system, you know, he had great service. He had really defined roles, which was if you got the ball, get to the end line and put in a cutback. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the ball, make that hard run to the back post for those tap-ins or make those hard runs to the middle of the box for those tap-ins. It really simplified things. I think there are issues with his game. The finishing has always been an issue for him. He runs a little bit hot and cold when he's not getting those simple tap-ins. He clearly has the speed, the skill, and the track record in the Premier League. Yeah, And he's still still young. Or he's not young anymore, but he's not old either. My issue is that what what doesn't sit well with me is that we didn't need him, you know, and we do we just throw the money out at players that we often don't need. You know, we have Ziyech in there, like he's he's fairly new to Chelsea. Give Ziyech a run, you know. We have uh, Hudson Odoi that's just sitting like similar position. Give the young kid a shot, you know. We have all these youngsters and we push him out on loan every year, like. Who knows, we you, we could have the next Sterling sitting in our team, but he's never going to become that world star if we don't give them the opportunities. Yeah, sounds like new Chelsea, same as the old Chelsea yeah, then. Yeah, nothing changes. <laughs> Guess that's what happens when you're owned by one of the richest men in the world and, you know, could be worse. It could be worse, yeah. I shouldn't complain too much. I'm excited to see them play. I'm int- I would be interested again to see how Sterling fits into Tuchel's system because... If he persists with the you know a three four three, then Sterling's one of those three forwards, but he's tucked in a little centrally where I feel like he's best out wide in right. a four three three. No, so. he is. He's he's the classic chalk on his boots winger yeah. where he's using his speed and stretching the field a little bit. It'll be an interesting fit. They've got a lot of pieces sort of in that attacking demographic because Christian Pulisic is still around. Timo Werner is still around, isn't he? He is. Yep. You know, he's another one. I really, I love Timo Werner. He's got a lot of the similar attributes as Sterling. His speed, he gets in behind. He has, he actually has really uh, good timing to put himself in goal scoring positions. I don't know why it hasn't translated from the goals that he scored in Germany in those similar situations. And now he misses those opportunities in the Premier League. It's maybe just the pressure of the whole environment. Um, but that, for example, like I would, I would stick with Werner rather yeah. than signing Sterling. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, when once Sterling starts banging in the goals and getting the assists, I'm sure I won't be complaining too much. We'll see what happens. I, Chelsea's in a really interesting place because I think, again, exactly like last year, they're going to be a little bit not good enough to get into that title race. I also don't think they're going to struggle enough to have any questions about whether they're going to make the top four. So they're just going to be sort of under the radar a little bit. I think third position. And there's nothing nothing interesting about that, but Not there's really. it, it's good. Yeah, it's good. But yeah, nothing to write home about. Ross, anything else? Uh, just an honorable mention. Leeds, Jesse, oh. 
bringing in a couple of Americans. Uh, really excited about Tyler Adams. He's a good upcoming player. And then I, the other one's Aronson. Brendan Aronson yeah. from Salzburg. Yeah, late yeah. of uh, Philadelphia Union. So yeah, it'll be interesting, man. Like I feel like the script is written. He's bringing in all the, these American players and he's going to get sacked after a month and the Americans are going to be like, oh, what about us? Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, a low-key other storyline there is is sort of the acceleration of the move of the Americans into the European leagues mm -hmm. um, and into the Premier Leagues because aside from Adams and Aronson going to Leeds Matt Turner going to Arsenal to be presumably Aaron Ramsdale's backup Gabriel Slanina the young Chicago fire goalkeeper just going to Chelsea, although he'll yep. be loaned back to Chicago for the season. So it's good to see that. I think that's a trend that's been continuing from the last couple summers. Good to see that continuing if you care about the United States men's national team. So that's something to watch. The other big one for me is just, and this is more something looking forward to the season, what are teams going to look like by the time the World Cup comes around? In terms of the fatigue, in terms of the injuries, Players are going to be playing very hard the first half of this season to try to secure their World Cup spots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's, you know, I've, we've never had a World Cup at this time in the season, so I have no clue how teams are going to deal with it. But you're right, you know, there's, there's spots up for grab on national teams, so those guys are going to be running themselves into the ground to make sure they get selected. So, yeah, I mean... We'll see how it pans out. Well, and the season still ended late because of complications still from COVID-19. And I, the season's starting early here to, to have that time for the yeah. World Cup in the winter. Not as long a summer break as these players are used to. It's a demanding game. It really is. And these are some of the fittest athletes in the world. I'm not sure that all of them will be able to handle sort of the increased workload, the decreased time off, the pressure of trying to make those national team rosters. It's just something that I'm going to be watching. Yeah, and it'll be interesting once teams come back, players come back from the World Cup too. Like how do we, do they just hit the ground running and it's back into, you know, business as usual? Or is there like a month of, you know, games that aren't high caliber while people get their fitness up again? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, the depth will be a big thing to watch for a lot of these teams. I'm Andrew Houghton. That's Ross McMoney is joining me for the Soccer and Snow and Smoke podcast, covering everything about this summer in soccer, from the Premier League transfer window to some of the other leagues in Europe, the women's Euros, little MLS talk in there as well. Ross, it's been great to have you back in the studio. I'm glad you're enjoying your coaching, man. Yeah, pleasure. You know, it's, it's amazing how much fun soccer can be. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you by Zootown Sports Cards, Missoula's number one spot for all things sports card collecting. They've got great cards. They've also got everything needed to set you up in the hobby. Go down there, talk to Hillary and Jason. They'll get you set up at Zootown Sports Cards, 2100 Stevens Avenue, Unit B. Proud sponsor of Soccer and Snow and Smoke. For us, McMoney's, I'm Andrew Houghton. This has been Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Thank you for listening.